This is IOM, the flagship podcast of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Institute for Organization Management. I'm your friend, Nathan Graham, Senior Program Coordinator for Institute. This show is a monthly window into the program at large with interviews featuring the people that make Institute possible. And we're back with our third episode to end off the month of May. This month, our conversation focuses on foundations. We here at Institute have a myriad of people to talk to, and we'd like to share one today. I have a one-on-one conversation with Dave Atkinson, the retired CEO of the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce and author of Horseshoes vs. Chess, a practical guide for Chamber of Commerce leaders. So let's get into it with Dave. Dave Atkinson, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Glad to be All on. Right. Well, we're glad to have you on. Um, So we'll just start with something, you know, as we're representing the Institute for Organization Management. So how did you get involved with Institute? Well, I uh, went back to my um, hometown after college and graduate school, interested in the community, interested in politics, wasn't sure what I was going to do. And just by chance, I met the executive vice president. That's what they used to call the CEO of most chambers. And um, he needed somebody. He needed a number two, he said, a project manager. So he hired me. And thank goodness he knew of Institute. And he sent me, I think within the first month, he sent me to the University of Georgia for Institute. I loved it. I realized I was bitten by the bug there and I was going to love Chamber World. So that's how I got initiated. And now that I'm retired some years later, um, it's great to be on the faculty of Institute this year. Yeah, and we certainly appreciate all the work you're doing. That's why you're here today to talk a little bit more about foundations. Um, so what do you believe is the role of a foundation in the chamber slash association industry? Well, and I'm glad Institute has made this a core uh, curriculum course this year. So everyone going through Institute on the four-year program will, will get a taste of this one way or the other. Um, I think it is absolutely essential for a chamber that wants to grow and be more relevant and be more respected and produce better results in their community. Um, I refer to it as the third leg of the stool in terms of revenue. We all know about dues. You know, dues are what keep the doors open. You got non-dues revenue from whether you sell tables at your annual meeting or you put on fundraisers or whatever, you have non-dues revenue, basically fee-for-service type things. You charge somebody to come to your seminars, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So those are the two traditional legs of the stool. I suggest we add a third leg of the stool, and that's foundations, parentheses, fundraising, and cause-based fundraising. Not just saying, hey, let's go out and try to get some extra money, but to say, here's what we're trying to accomplish in life. Where can we find resources to support those goals? And for reference, I'm I'm bringing this up. You worked at the Kentucky Chamber. That's a very big foundation, and uh, your your causes spanned a couple of different things. If you want to talk about those a little bit, sure. Well, uh, of the three chambers I served, one in my hometown, which was a small chamber, a staff of five or six, then the Birmingham, Alabama Metro Chamber with a staff of 40, 45, and then the Kentucky State Chamber back in my home state. And the state chambers are different. There's a different culture. There's a different set of priorities. But I wish, I wish, frankly, that I had realized the power of having an intentional foundation, in other words, a purpose-driven foundation earlier in my career. I realized it almost kind of backed into it the last, I'd say, 10 years of my chamber career. And we used it, I looked up one real, 
I looked up one day and realized we had received more money from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation than we had received through recruiting new members for the last three years. Uh, and I thought, wait a minute, this is telling me something. And then we later got money for workforce, which is a hot topic for most chambers, state or local. And we got money for second chance employment. You know, there's a lot of concern about the opioid uh, problem. We're not going to solve it as chambers of commerce. We're not drug clinics, but workforce issues and opioid, they overlap considerably. And we got some very serious uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars to work in that arena. So those are just three examples of things that we used. And on the three-legged stool, that leg of the stool became longer. In other words, we had more revenue coming in from that than we did on dues or non-dues the last two years I was at my chain. You kind of got into this a little bit. Uh, you, you you talked a little bit about in your book about not your foundation being a, not a drug clinic, but the mission driving that rather than you doing the clinics yourself. And so you talk about four different kinds of chambers, describing them in separate parts of the journey in a foundation process. Where do most chambers or associations lie on that scale and where can they go from their current point? Right. I point out four different types of chambers, those that don't happen to have a foundation yet, those that have a foundation, but it was created years ago and it's basically lying there dormant. And then a third level is an active foundation where you routinely run certain programs of your chamber through your charitable foundation. Uh, for example, a leadership training program, that would be a typical one. Um, some of your seminars, things like that, that can go through your foundation. And then the fourth level, which I consider the highest level, that is to have an intentional, what I call an intentional foundation. In other words, you and your leadership, your board leadership decide, we are going to make this an integral part of our business model. We are going to actively court outside resources, not for the sake of fundraising, but for the sake of shoring up and activating our major goals. Uh, it's not a matter of just chasing dollars. It's a matter of supporting the goals that you've set for your chamber. Of those four levels, ACCE does a survey of chambers every year. And in 2012, only 44% of the chambers responding, and it was over 300 chambers, had a foundation. In 2020, which is the latest they have operational figures for, it was up to 65%, so about a 50% increase. So more chambers are getting foundations created. Now, how many are dormant versus active versus intentional? I would guess, and this is only a guess, probably half of them are active in some way. They're running some programs through their foundation annually, scholarships or whatever they're doing, leadership programs. I'd say probably 25% might be dormant. They're, they exist on paper. Maybe a previous president of the chamber created one and you don't know what to do with it. And then I'd say probably 25% have actually strategically said, we are going to make this a part of the way we deal in the world and how we make ourselves more relevant um, and uh, more productive. That Yes, that's a good point is talking about like a, a the foundation being run basically around one person instead of one mission. You know, <laughs> after after that person leaves, maybe the mission, the foundation kind of falls into that dormant state. Right. How would you, how do you go about advising a chamber of association with that active foundation to prevent itself from slipping into that dormant state? Well, one is to 
uh, internalize it within the organization. In other words, make specific changes in your organizational operations to accommodate a, a very proactive foundation. Uh, and that's everything from having a separate board, having a prestigious board, having an active chair of your foundation who reports at chamber board meetings. Here's what the foundation has been doing since we met last time. Um, even some staffing changes. We renamed our vice president of membership to vice president of membership and development with the goal that that person would commit 50% of her time to traditional membership sales. We're going out, you know, we need to recruit new members but also 50% of her time to specifically working to identify sources of money, uh, uh, write grants, that sort of thing to shore up our most important goals. And so let's let's scale it back. Let's go back for a moment. How should chamber professionals pursue a foundation's conversation with their board and staff and how do they navigate that change within their organization? So we've talked a little bit about established ones. They've established foundations and maybe getting them out of that dormant state. But there's also we going back to the four chambers uh the the beginning part the where they you know they don't have a foundation yet how do they engage that conversation with their board and their staff first i would find a chamber nearby one that you have some rapport with maybe in your state association that has a foundation kind of get yourself familiar with um what a chamber is all about secondly i would approach your board chair and say i think this can be or your incoming board chair and say hey i think this could be a major initiative of your year as chairman what do you think let's look at it and that sort of thing uh third i think a lot of people are intimidated by filing the paperwork to get a foundation frankly i minimize that i'd say get yourself a lawyer if you have a lawyer on your board ask them to do that for you it's not expensive they can do it they know the forms it's not rocket science but you don't need to get your desk covered up with that stuff either so get an, a, an accountant or an attorney preferably an attorney to file that for you and get you going and then get together a core group of board members who are interested in this perhaps the person you've kind of tagged to be the first chair of your foundation sit down with them and think strategically about okay what are the major goals we're trying to accomplish and are there resources that we can attract to support those goals let's say one of your goals is downtown revitalization or something like that then you think okay where could we who would support that maybe the downtown banks would uh, maybe maybe the community foundation uh, that has five million dollars in the bank maybe they would give us a grant for fifty thousand dollars to bring in architect, you know, that sort of thing. You just start trying to match your goals with funding that you can imagine would be supportive of those goals. Yes, everything takes funding, everything right. uh, matching your mission to your money is uh, is a very important part of it uh, because you can have a lot of ideas, but if you don't have the funding, obviously the ideas just sit on the desk of anyone who's trying to develop them. Um, and so this is obviously a bigger topic about the overall economic outlook of the country or local communities. So when looking at that, how does a foundation weather uncertain and even negative economic conditions? Right. Well, the sources of wealth, whether it's private wealth uh, held by individuals, companies, um, 
or private foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or foundations that operate in your community anyhow, like the Community Foundation. Those sources of money, they're not, they kind of ride those waves more smoothly than most do. They're not going to lose a job. They're not going to miss a meal or anything because the economy happens to be down. So that wealth is generally there. Now they might tighten up on their budget for a year or two, but generally speaking, wealth is there and is going to stay there. So um, the bigger challenge, I think, on operations for a chamber exec, uh, especially at the staff level, is that you get a grant for $100,000 to do a study about the future of tourism in your community, let's say. I'm just picking one out there. Um, well, you have a spike in your budget. You got $100,000. The next year, you can't just immediately repeat $100,000. So. When I talk about the three legs of the stool, in one sense, the foundation or the fundraising leg can experience ups and downs. It's hard to budget sometimes for that because a lot of this is being at the right place at the right time, knowing who to talk to, being in a conversation and find out that so-and-so is getting ready to invest in the community to do X. You say, hey, we do X. Why don't we ask Banker Jones why he wouldn't support our effort to do that? You know. So um, it, it, it is, frankly, a little difficult to budget, but um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't base, for example, I wouldn't staff up heavily in anticipation of foundation money, but as foundation money comes in, you can rent staff. In other words, you can have people on contract to do certain things for you. That's an excellent point talking about, you know, you can't duplicate your money. The money is not always guaranteed year to year. You know, it things can change from year to year and economic conditions do the same thing as well. So let's also talk about you a little bit. You have a very interesting career. You're you've moved up the chamber world so much so that you retired from the chamber world, but you're still spreading your knowledge to the future of chamber world and association world by teaching at Institute. So when you were moving through your career, what is the best advice you received or something you wish someone had told you or both if you have both? I'd say the importance of strategic planning. Um, and some people say eh, strategic planning, that's where you go sit under a tree and stare at your navel and talk about philosophy and you come away, you know, <laughs> with you know, with some vague notion that, oh, we want to do better. Uh, strategic planning can be very nuts and bolts oriented. I remember when I was at my small chamber in my hometown, every year after the holidays uh, in January, we would take the board and spouses to a nearby resort and have a fun weekend. But the fun weekend included about a six or seven hour session of the board in which we brainstormed and sometimes had a facilitator, sometimes we did it ourselves and talk about where where does this community need to go? Where does this chamber need to put its efforts? And we come away with a plan for the year. Planning and getting everybody on board is so important, especially that's why I think it's so important for board members to be involved in that process. Um, as the old, the old saying goes, if they if they write it, they will underwrite it. And, uh, and if they believe in it, they will write checks and help you accomplish something you had no idea you could accomplish. So I'd say the whole role of having a sense of direction and not just opening the doors and saying, well, I guess we're going to be busy today and 
uh, our new chairman wants to do something and give book bags to all the eighth graders in the world, you know, and all of a sudden you chase that activity and you just be busy, busy, busy in chamber world without a sense of, hey, let's accomplish X for this community. Good point. Keeping keeping realistic expectations, the strategic planning overall. Uh, would love to give eighth graders everywhere a book bag, but sometimes you got <laughs> you got to right. stay in the reality, I suppose. Well, uh, is that, yeah, you have to ask yourself: Is that the most important thing our chamber could do to help the economic viability of our community? It might be something worth doing. You know, you might have a manufacturer of book bags in your community, and all of a sudden you have an opportunity to do a great deal. Why not? So I'm not saying any of those are uh, inappropriate activities. It's just what are the most important things you can do to shape the economic welfare of your community? Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Um, so my last question for you, I mean, I know you're retired and so is my dad. So asking him this question is kind of pointless, but how, <laughs> how, how do you best disconnect from your work? Well, I would refer back to when I was working. Uh, I worked hard. I enjoyed my work. I was consumed with my work, but I had a family, so I balanced that. I did not consider myself a workaholic, but I always took vacations. I always spent time with my family and their sporting events and that sort of thing of my kids, and I love travel. One of the best ways to disconnect, in one sense, you might say, well, this is kind of cheating on getting away from work, but to go to professional conferences to go to ACCE meetings, U.S. Chamber meetings, that sort of thing. I would just recharge my batteries, get new ideas from people, get encouragement from peers of mine who were going through similar situations and come away. I would almost always come away with ideas that would more than pay for the registration and the travel to get to that conference. And so I encouraged my, my staff. I wanted everybody on the staff to have some sort of professional development goal for the year. What conference are you going to attend? What group are you going to align yourself with? And um, that recharged my battery, and I think that kept me uh, rejuvenated from uh, year to year in the chamber world. Very good. I, I appreciate that. Uh... <laughs> That bump there for professional development, obviously, and that it and that it uh, instead of burning you out more, that it actually uh, provided you something that made you recharge your batteries and uh, gave you uh, some more drive to get back to do your work while also giving you some relaxation at the same time. Uh, Dave Atkinson, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining sure. us today. Well, glad to be invited and I'm looking forward to Institute. I'll be in Wisconsin uh for midwest and then at northeast at villanova so I, i'm looking forward to those to being with chamber professionals even though i've retired from the official chamber ranks <laughs> all right we'll see you there okay all right take care that's right everyone dave teaches at institute that's the end of our show today thank you for letting us join your work day if you liked what you heard consider following the podcast wherever you get them from and coming to institute if you're listening as soon as this comes out on may 31st 2023 registration is open for two of our three summer sites in athens georgia and villanova pennsylvania we're about to hit the road for 2023 midwest so stop by and say hi for those of you attending we have a website that'll get you all the information you need at institute.uschamber.com if you have any questions, please feel free to email us, iom at uschamber.com. You're already listening to my voice now. Now time to see if I can type correctly. 
From Raymond, Karen, Isabel, Cece, and yours truly, all the best today and for a better tomorrow. Bye, everyone.